Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. My name is Alan. With me, as always, is Sol. Hello! And this being a Bond episode, we of course have a very special guest. And this week, very special, we are joined by Dame Judi Dench. <laughs> Hello there, thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> um, thank you, Dame Dame Judi. Uh, we, we're looking forward to uh, seeing the climax of your Bond career here. Uh, unless you're planning some sort of ghost comeback uh, in, in another film. Um, I, I know you're joking about that, but have you seen Spectre? <laughs> <laughs> the Spectre of Dench <laughs> upon our shoulders. Uh, well, well, I, well, I haven't uh, seen Spectre, and I have no idea how much of this is actually a joke. Uh, now, that, that voice you hear, the slightly effeminate voice there, was Calvin Dyson. Yeah. Hello, I barely needed to affect it in any way yeah, to achieve that. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, yes, we are we are back on the Bond train, of course. We find ourselves here so often. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, when was the last one? What was the last one, Calvin? Quantum of Solace was the last one, but it's not a problem that you don't remember it, Alan, because the series forgets about it from, <laughs> from this point on, oh, so nice. don't worry about that. But do you remember <laughs> Casino Royale? You must remember that one. Yeah. So how, lo- how long was the gap in real life, though? Uh, how long were we waiting for this one, Carmen? It was four years. There was a load of uh, financial troubles at MGM in between the making of these films. I think it was originally... Roger Michelle was going to direct it at one point, um, and I think it was due to come out in 2010, 2011, something like that, and then it got postponed a little bit, and Sam Mendes came on board. Should we should we touch on this very briefly, because um, the, 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 the Bond franchise is historically, certainly, certainly for as long as I've been aware, uh, really struggled to get its shit together, just from like a business financial point of view, and, and it's been like a whole thing, every single Bond movie, it's like, oh, they're going bankrupt, what's gonna happen? And um, they've, since our last Bond episode, MGM, I believe, have been bought by Amazon? Yep, correct, all, all went through, so they now own James Bond, uh, Pink Panther... Uh, misery. <laughs> I mean, is that is that is the that best good? Amazon could do? <laughs> well, I think what Amazon what, Yeah, from a from a well, that's Warner Brothers, isn't it? Which is, I think, MGM have been on the wane for many decades now. They they used to obviously be one of the main big studio players in Hollywood. Obviously, less so now, particularly when you compare it to. Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal. And what Amazon wanted to do, essentially, was just buy a big-ass production house with a bunch of people who know how to make films, and that's what they've, what I, they've got I, now. I bet that Amazon could have bought Paramount. Like you, uh, Jeff Bezos possibly. went to space for a laugh. And well. not, only, not only did he go to space for a laugh, but he just he took William Shatner up there. That's how much so you of know a fucking he's taking the piss. piss about it was. Yeah. yeah. He took a 90-year-old man up there. They were hoping it would kill him, but he managed to come through. <laughs> Paramount is owned by Viacom. Uh, like, I don't really know what... It's all these things with many fingers and many pies, and I think MGM probably made... It was probably cheaper than oh, of course it buying... Was. Paramount, and I think property-wise... Yeah, no it was cheaper than it, Paramount. Jesus <laughs> Paramount's like a viable Property- company. <laughs> property-wise, it has James Bond, and I think it has some kind of uh, percentage of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I don't quite know what the rights you know, were going to be for yeah. this TV show that Amazon's producing yeah. already, but... 
yeah, I guess it makes it easier for them to have it all under one umbrella. Mm. What what a lot of the um, articles and stuff, it's just amusing when you see people talk about that. They now own the entire MGM catalogue, like Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind and all that kind of stuff. Sure. It's, well, the MGM catalogue prior to... That? Well, this is it. The MGM catalogue prior to 1980 was sold off <laughs> one right. point to Warner Brothers. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so MGM made the films originally, but now Warner Brothers owns like all of the big golden age classic kind of ones. Do uh, you think Jeff Bezos was aware of that? Or yeah, did Amazon know that? <laughs> <laughs> they got screwed. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> He's like rubbing his little hands together with watching Wizard of Oz. How do you feel <laughs> just from like a, an ethical point of view, Calvin? Because you know Amazon, they're, they're a little bit, little bit dodgy. I mean, you know, unlike all those other film corporations. <laughs> well, yeah. at least you can you can take a bathroom break when you're at Disney, from what I've heard. But uh... Calvin, <laughs> uh, well, I think from a money perspective you touched on mgm's constantly in financial troubles and going bankrupt and in liquidation and always manages to come out somehow and i i think from a money perspective it's great to think that they'll have the money to put towards making these films uh unlike that's the problem with bond films have been notoriously low budget affairs Uh. (laughs) well it does tend to be like yeah I, i don't really know how these things they have money thrown at them from like product placements and all that kind of stuff but um I mean, I'll well, be honest, yeah. uh, to kind of bring us back to Skyfall, to say these are such hugely expensive movies, I, I, I didn't really feel like you saw it all on the screen in this one. Oh, really? Well, it it, just, it turns into just like Home Alone at the end, which is like a fairly <laughs> low-budget <laughs> Bond movie. You've got It's like a bottle movie. You've got one set, a couple of actors, then like a load of extras with guns. Yeah, know. but that's the last half hour of a two and a half hour film. Yeah, well, I mean, that, I guess run out of money their, by that point. That's their problem. Isn't they it? were filming it in order, and they ran out of money. But I mean, not to not to get ahead. I, that was clearly the best part of the film, and I assume most people would agree with that. And mm. therefore, you could very easily make a very low budget James Bond movie. It seems like because you could just mm. do that for more of the film. <laughs> well, you make a good point. I think having Sam Mendes on board gives them a different kind of. Uh, focus. Uh, obviously, he's particularly at this point was far more known for dramas. Uh, I know he directed Jarhead, but I've never seen it. I don't know if that counts as an action film. I'm assuming mm. there are flourishes of action in it, but this is a Bond film where there are probably really only three big scale action sequences. Yeah. I think there's you know pepperings of fights and whatnot throughout, but you've got the pre-title sequence in Turkey, and then there's the sequence in the middle on the London Underground, mm. all that stuff, and then the big sequence at the house. And even then, the sequence at the house is, it's a very small bunch of people, like maybe like 15 people, one big explosion. Can I can I preface this discussion before we get into it proper, just by saying that I, I only watched this film for the first time last night, about eight hours ago, went to sleep and just woke up to record this. So I'm still... I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about this film, and I'm kind of collecting oh. my thoughts as we go. So if it if it sounds like I'm being contradictory and and saying things that are inconsistent with other things that I'm saying, that that's why. Uh, <laughs> Business as usual. <laughs> yeah. Just a little disclaimer there. But I I only saw it for the first time. Uh, but Alan, you've seen this before, I assume. Uh, yeah, way way back when. Yeah, way back when. The obvious thing to note here, uh, overall, is that. 
when they brought in the Daniel Craig Bond, they kind of rebooted it, and now they're starting to throw those ingredients back in. So we get that, Q and Money Penny. That was a really weird thing with this film because, I mean, the, the, we spoke about Casino Royale and how it didn't feel like it was meant as quite the hard reboot that it was at the time. It just felt like a. It felt like Casino Royale could have taken place within that same continuity. It was just like a new spin on it. But then the sequels are the things where it's kind of like, oh no, you have to draw a hard line in the sand in terms of like this character being reintroduced and stuff. It doesn't all add up anymore. I'm amazed that in the third film in this sort of rebooted series, we're still playing prequel. There's still like a, a cheer audience applause moment at the end where we reveal that a character is Miss Moneypenny and, and come on. Stand on your own two feet. It's it, you're nearly done with this run. You're literally halfway <laughs> through it. Well, I'm, I'm curious to know how you guys feel about some elements of this because I, I agree it is still doing the he's becoming James Bond that we know and love kind of thing. But at the same time, they're leaning into a lot of he's out of shape, he's antiquated, he's old fashioned. We don't need you anymore. We have computers doing your work. He's sort of mm. fighting for relevance through a, a big part of this. And there's obviously, I mean, it's quite explicit, the old versus new kind of um, themes that run throughout, which is quite odd to say that, yeah, they are still doing a lot of that setup kind of stuff. Yeah. But Craig himself is portrayed as being old and out of shape and he needs to sort of um you and know, he was only he, can still he was it. only in his mid 50s at this point so <laughs> we have a long way to go yet but i mean uh, i I, th I think i found that all very odd it just it, it strikes me as it strikes me as weird that they didn't plan this all out a bit better and go right the first one or two we're gonna do is like they don't plan it all anything up, but, i know i know i but know you usually don't even that, have a script when they start filming i know but that's it's <laughs> just a this reminder that Hollywood is just utter Shit. shambles. <laughs> it's a fucking shambles. That's exactly <laughs> and, and, what it is. People... They don't know what they don't know what people want. They don't know what they're doing. Well, it, it's amazing because it's it's not that hard to figure it out. And people complain about Marvel being this like well-oiled machine, but I, I I genuinely think it's very refreshing that you can rely upon like three or four films a year from one studio where they do know exactly what they're doing and they do make things very well to you know a, a tightly formulated you know recipe compared to every other studio just sort of flailing around shooting themselves in the foot by mistake like smearing shit on walls <laughs> and occasionally through sheer like chance making something people resonate with and it's not just mgm you know sony are the 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 ones that really spring to mind but paramount um warner brothers that they all don't know what the fuck they're doing you don't even have to go studio wide just like think of the franchise the bond franchise just you're churning the same thing out to every two years just hit the main ingredients people want to see and just throw in sort of a little bit to keep it fresh but well, then they, I think they, they can't just do that. try and pull it in a certain direction, like oh, you know, culturally people feel a bit more me tooey this time round. So let's do a throw a bit of that in there. Let's try and make him bond a but, bit less rapey. <laughs> but then you you're still mixing that in with everything else, and yeah, it's just I don't know. Well, it should be said before we get into it uh, in more detail. This is still. Um, 
unadjusted for inflation, the most financially successful Bond film of them all. This was the second highest grossing really? film of 2012 behind The Avengers. But, uh, you, you know, and... the problem with that is, the mm. one that made the most money, if, if people didn't go to see the next one, that means it was shit. Because everyone <laughs> went to see that one based on the one That's before. That's true. That means everyone loved Quantum of Solace, Calvin. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, well this... <laughs> this one had. This was the 50th anniversary of the Bond franchise, of course. Uh, so it oh, had boy. all of that, and crucially, yeah, and I, I at the end, think... uh, it, where it normally says James Bond will return, this time it said 50 years James Bond will return, and I was like, oh, that's surprisingly accurate. How did they know it was going to take so long? <laughs> well, this was also um, the year of the London Olympics. Where uh, Daniel Craig had a little short with the Queen herself. Oh, I remember um, that when when they parachuted mm, into the Olympics. There you mm. go. Yeah, that was just a few months before this film. So I think that promotion uh, certainly helped. When you think of how many people watched the Olympic opening ceremonies and how can and when, whatnot. How can when the Queen parachuted in, she looked like a sort of six foot two man <laughs> in a dress? <laughs> <laughs> What's that about? It's yeah. it's it's just physics, Alan. It's the momentum. It's, like it stretches your body out. It's when like you the fall perspective of something. Yeah. yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, right, can we talk about the uh, the opening for the film then? Uh, the pre-title sequence. Well, very very quickly, Calvin. We we spoke about how how I first came to this film. We spoke about how Alan first came to this film. Uh, ah. I think we can assume you went to like a midnight screening or something when it was first <laughs> released. But how many times have you seen it since? Would you estimate? Oh God! Uh, well, I saw it four times at the cinema, <laughs> and uh, it's one of the ones that I've probably seen the most. This is one of my absolute favourites. At one point, I would have cited it as my favourite of them all. Mm. So, countless dozens, dozens of times. Uh, but no, I, I saw it opening... Don't you say that about them all, though? When you first see it, you go, this is the best one ever. <laughs> no, 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 I, I didn't think that about uh, Quantum of Solace. You still loved it, though. You still... Uh, yes, yes, I, it I liked a... it a lot at the yeah. time. But this one, yeah, I saw it opening night when it first uh, came out. And um, yeah, it was a good crowd. It was mm. packed audience. Everyone was laughing at, you know, bits where you should be laughing. And Sorry, laughing? Yeah. Wait, what? what? I was gonna, sorry, what? There's jokes There were funny bits. There, there were funny bits. Where? Go on. All right, give me a second. Give me a second, because I'm going to try and remember one of these jokes. Uh... There's one. There's one funny bit where Judy Dench gives him a bit of sass. He falls in the water. He falls in the water, and then when he comes back, he says, "Sorry, I got into some water." There's that uh, <laughs> the bit where he he jumps on the tube train, and that guy says he's keen to get home. <laughs> oh, no. Can I ask you about that, Calvin? <laughs> Just because yes. you live in Wimbledon, right? Yes. Oh no, you didn't live in Wimbledon back then, though, so you didn't let yourself. Yeah. Know, but... Be honest, how much of your decision to move to Wimbledon was influenced by the fact that that is the destination signed up on that particular tube train very blatantly in this film? Funnily enough, I'd already decided to move to Wimbledon after seeing this film. And in fact, I saw it for the first time at a cinema in Wimbledon. Um, and not knowing that that shot was going to be in there. But of course, everyone will know that the that kind of train does not go to Wimbledon. That is a Piccadilly line train, I believe. <laughs> um, Total bullshit. With a Wimbledon sign on it, but uh, it's not district line. Uh, Alright, well, let's get into it then. Um, and it starts with this... Uh, I don't know where they got this idea, but they had this, this masterstroke to kind of pretend that James Bond 
dies at the start. <laughs> and, and you watch it, and you you watch it, you think, "Oh my god, he's dead! He's James Bond's going to die." Um, <laughs> he does die. I turned it off after that because I thought well, it's going to be a crap Bond <laughs> film without Bond. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, why are we still doing this now? <laughs> Well, this one has more of a point. I think this one feels more thematically uh, resonant throughout the rest of the film about him coming back from the dead and resurrection. It's like a cool little scene. And if it was the first time they played with this bag of tricks, maybe it would be all right. But I just, I genuinely thought it was fucking pathetic. Because it's James Bond, so we know he's not dead. Of course you're not going to kill him off in the first two minutes of the film. If you're going to do that, you're going to make a fucking five-hour movie and spend about three hours at the end of it, like, making a big song and dance about it. But they they didn't, they don't, like, drag it out. Like, obviously, we all know he's not really dead. It's just, like, the, the suspense is like, well, what happened to him? What's he doing? Is he hiding in Tahiti, banging ladies? Ooh. Yeah, but then... <laughs> Was there, like, a point from a story point of view to the whole... Because, obviously, it turns out very soon after that James Bond faked his own death as a means of retiring. He wanted out. Well, you know, you're giving it a far more... Organi- he was doing his job, got shot, assumed dead, and then he obviously went, uh, if people think I'm dead, I'm going to disappear. He didn't sort of... He didn't oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean he planned it ahead. Yeah, I just mean he kind of took the opportunity to be like, I'm sick of this, and left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it works for a multitude of reasons. I think it works, as I say, I think it perhaps works more thematically for what they're going to do with Bond in this. But I think it's more like it's uh, Judy Dench's M who gives the order for her to shoot, uh, for Money Penny to shoot, even though she's saying, like, oh, I, I can't, I might hit Bond. M still says it, and so much of this film is about their relationship. And Okay. But wouldn't that have worked just as well, if not better, if we had that scene and then it cut, you know, after Adele sings her song, we have James Bond in a hospital bed and Judy Dench bringing him some grapes and him going, you bloody shot me, you silly cow. <laughs> and, and her going, oh, James, do behave, have some grapes and all that. You know, it, <laughs> that would have been great. And then you don't have to, you don't have all, you don't have all the, the, fil- like, the whole nonsense. film is, you know, when you turn, up, you turn up to a hospital visiting, and it's like a two hour visiting session. And you, you can't leave halfway through. That just seems like you're taking a piss. So you have to sit there for two hours making small talk. Can I ask what you guys thought of the whole um, action sequence that is the start of this film? Because it's one of my very favourites in the Too series, long. and particularly coming uh... off of Quantum of Solace, where it felt like every action sequence was just a montage. You could barely understand the A to B yeah. to C. I must say, uh, Quantum of Solace was such a sack of shit that it is... <laughs> I, I guess I probably forgot to take into account just what a breath of um, fresh air it is to go back to real like film sequences where they've actually like shot something planned out what they're going to shoot edited it you can tell what's happening so that's really nice um <laughs> i can't say anything about the opening scene really stood out to me i did like the little shot that was very very prominently used in the marketing at the time where james bond jumps onto the back of a oh, blown yes. up train and then sort of catches his balance and adjusts his shirt um, just flashes the watch. sleeve. He sort of adjusts his sleeve, doesn't he? And to show off the watch. So like, that's what yeah. it's for. They paid uh, a lot of money. Well, that was it. In in the marketing, taken out of context, I just thought like, oh, that's so fucking dumb. But in the context of that whole scene, it was such a small little detail that isn't like focused on that it was actually all right. 
So I must say that it, it was annoying me that he was wearing a tie throughout the whole thing. It just seems stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very restrictive. I wanted to get, I wanted to get like snagged on a little bit of fence. <laughs> it's just like, oh. <laughs> oh. And then Judy Dench could have, Judy Dench could have ordered that she shoot the tie to like get him free. Well, that's and, what I thought. And, I thought he was going to hold up the tie and there'd be like a com- cartoon bullet hole through it, and he'd be like, "Ooh, that was good." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be good. That'd be really good. See, this is what that would be fantastic. I, I never thought I'd say this, Calvin, but I think we might need to get back to the Roger Moore style. Oh my god! Of stupid wow. camp oh, comedy. it's coming! It's coming! <laughs> They've got to that. They've been taking it so seriously for twenty years. They got. A... They're not gonna. They're not gonna pull a the Batman on us and just do like the same thing again. They're they're totally gonna go like a bit fun and camp with it and Johnny English. Then we'll we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, so this this opening, the whole opening thing, it's just a big long action sequence, which is not really my bag. But you know, yeah, like you say, fine. it's all all right, and it does ha- at least have a purpose. It sets up the rest of the plot. And one thing I noticed actually, overall in general, there isn't really a proper Bond girl situation in this. I guess M yeah. M is the Bond girl. Is that what we're dealing with here? Um, in in a way, yeah. The um, emotional drive. Yeah, uh, I think it's quite good of them really to have the. Uh, is it courage? Uh, I don't really know. I mean, it's definitely breaking from one of the key elements of why people might go and see these films. Uh, it's certainly a part of the formula really? for them to not have Who some... goes to see a James yeah. Bond film because they can't wait to see the new Bond girl? <laughs> well, it, it, it's a part of the formula. I don't know if people would be disappointed by the lack of a you know pretty young thing at the end. Mm. I, I think it's it's interesting that they made the choice to have it. Oh, no, it's Bond who's already in middle age here and then a couple of old people. <laughs> and sort of holding the fort at the climax, yeah. but anyway, we'll 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 get there. I mean, they do chuck a load of women some, in there. Some sexy ladies, yeah, yeah. There was there was someone who had a was she a redhead or was it just a kind of reddish tint to her brown hair? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely I sat up and went, "Oh, hello, is that a Bond girl?" Um, <laughs> well, the, the thing is, we do. There is one bit where they kind of introduce this woman who she's a bit of a dark, mysterious, femme fatale kind of figure, and then it's like, oh, so you were a child prostitute sold into slavery, and then and then five minutes later she gets shot very unceremoniously. It's like, oh, nice one, guys. Yeah. Very glamorous yeah. uh, Bond girl story. That, which I think is quite good that they kind of like, they're playing into that darker side of stuff. That's actually quite a controversial scene, um, particularly amongst the fandom. Uh, I I kind of like it. It's uh, I I don't know if I needed her to kind of hang around for the rest of the film. I think it's quite a good shocking moment. It makes Javier Bardem's villain really bad. I think uh, it, I, I think because Bond clearly doesn't give the slightest toss. That's that's sort of perhaps the uh, like he doesn't care either. Javier yeah, Bardem not caring true. is what makes him a bad guy. Yeah, it just true. feels like well, Bond, you could have done the whole <laughs> shoot everybody and call in the helicopters like five minutes ago, and she would still be alive. <laughs> so. Yeah. So then we 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 after Bond's shot dead, uh, we get uh, an opening title sequence that um, mm. I always I always want to get into these. The only good Adele song. There's a oh. skyfall. I have written down the note and they crumble. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, good song, isn't it? I love Oscar it. Oscar winning, yeah. Oscar yes, winning. yes. Um, I I think I've complained about this on the show before, but I do find it incredibly like annoying now that I'm aware just how much she goes and they crumble <gasps> and they sky <laughs> fall. <gasps> like honestly, just 
listen out for it. Her her inhaling is so. Tay Zonde taught us you're meant to turn away away from the mic to breathe in, (laughs) and and you'd think Adele would have enough um, stagecraft, enough you know professionalism to to know to to not breathe into the mic like that. (laughs) You'd also think whoever's editing the song together in post would like just. Lower the, if if Adele was guesting on diminishing returns, I tell you right mm, now, we would yeah. we would lower her channel <laughs> whenever never, you hear the, hear <gasps> and you'd never hear it. It would you'd never, never get to it. yeah. So it's pretty bad, isn't it? Whoever was uh, yeah. producing that song didn't even bother with that. You can also hear the clunking on the piano as well. What you know, you know when you hear that in a song recording, when sometimes the kind of not the string itself, but the kind of clunk of the pedal in the mix as well. Fucking amateur hour, isn't it? It was. It was a fucking <laughs> shite. But, what uh, did you yeah. think of the sequence itself uh, visually? Uh, it was fine. Mm. Nothing about it jumped out at me particularly. I liked all the sky falling very literally near the end. Because um, mm. it was just like, oh, Bond's gone a bit post-apocalyptic here. They should do a yeah. whole movie of this where the the sky's falling and they have to hide up in a, you know, hole up in a in a bunker or something and yeah i don't know the whole opening sequence thing it's so 1980s nobody does it anymore oh i love that they keep the tradition alive though i wish more films did a good proper opening title was there any silhouettes of naked ladies no there was just an outright naked lady i think um not in silhouette that's the modern modern way Uh, you only see some silhouettes in the rorschach test bit uh there's like a black and white you see what you want to see bit. i was gonna say that that <laughs> says more about you than anything else calvin <laughs> <laughs> that's what you saw then uh, did they look like your mother <laughs> <laughs> all right can we talk broadly about i guess the first act of the film which is a lot of setup for what's going to come next and a lot of it is with judy dent she's very much uh Co- you know the main co-star in this really i think she the, the whole film is really about her and her character what she's done mistakes she's made all that kind of stuff um how do you feel about that generally i can't remember Cats. we've obviously we've obviously, talked, we've, all, we've obviously talked about her in previous episodes but i can't remember how much of a fan you guys are or not so much well you've got to like the dench yeah, I think I mean, she's. she's bit, I think she's a great yeah. presence here, actually, in in general, yeah, in the Bond franchise. She is an ever dependable talent, Judy Dench. She's she's a national treasure for a reason. I can't say she ever did anything to particularly wow me in the previous films, but you know, it's nice to have her there. This is the first time I feel like she's really had an opportunity to do something interesting, and and yeah. But good. I think from from a character point of view. There's there's a there's a value to going with this sort of person because you know the the concept of the M you know the head of MI6 is some sort of stuffy old man you know and to modernize that to bring into it not just a woman but a woman who is obviously not someone who you would throw out as a field agent <laughs> and mm. and expect to kind of kick ass you know she's not a kick she's she's um she has an authoritarian presence and then what they really lean into, particularly in this one, obviously, is that v- just vaguely maternal aspect, but but not by making her maternal, but just by making her, in the same way if it was an old man who ran this thing, it would be a paternal instinct. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like they, yeah, all completely. these younger agents who have known this person for 20 years and have kind of looked up to them. Uh, and, and, the, and, they're, and ultimately they're there to protect them. And so that, and then the the... The duality of that, where 
she has to, and Bond understands this ultimately as well, she has to kind of go, oh, this person, I'm going to have to let this person die because of the bigger picture. Mm. And Bond understands that, Javier Bardem doesn't, and that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, Did it, I, I know it's so long since we've seen The World Is Not Enough, and I don't think either of you liked it very much, but... There is overlap here with that film. Uh, they both have MI6 attacked at the start, an explosion. They're both about a villain with a personal vendetta against Judy Dench's M, mm. um, trying to capture her, all that. Did, did any of that uh, jar for you, feel too familiar? I'm I'm pretty used to James Bond just repeating the same stuff over and over and over again, so no, it didn't really yeah. um, mm. jump out at me. I, oh, I just thought, like, how did they get how did they get permission to blow up the MI6 building? <laughs> so meanwhile all of this stuff with them is kind of setting up ray fines who Mm. i guess you'll probably know as he's gonna stick around you know for the next ones um did you know that he becomes m or do you remember what your alan what your feeling was the first time because i remember first watching this being kind of uh you know, he's Voldemort. He's potentially a villainous character. Um, and indeed, they did want to make him a villain in the next one, but Ray Fiennes has said recently that he pushed back on that and said to Sam Mendes, no, I'm not I'm not going to be the villain. I, I see Ray Fiennes and I think, oh, it's Coriolanus, but uh, of course you go straight to Voldemort. <laughs> I, I can see how having a bit of conflict between M and the the minister guy who they have to kind of deal with all the time would be good. Um, but yeah, that's good for one film. I don't know if that's something you want to be dragging in all the time. Uh, plus, mm. you, you can do that with just kind of M just going like, oh, the prime minister's on my ass. I got to do this. You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this time I want to do it by the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... You know, I, I I don't know if you need a villainous character in that sense. Just going on about that, with the in terms of the the kind of the political aspect of this, we see the the Dench being grilled by some MPs about like, what well, what the hell are you doing over there in MI six? I know it's supposed to be a secret, <laughs> but we all know what building you're in for a start. Everyone's dying. What's going on? <laughs> and then she stages like a false flag operation where <laughs> one of her own agents comes and shoots everybody to make it look like they're really needed. <laughs> Did you like the um did you like the shades of Nedry from Jurassic Park whenever <laughs> <laughs> whenever the computers would get taken oh, over? Yeah. That Javier like Bardem had made Judy a little Dench going uh 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 you did say the Javier <laughs> yeah. Bardem had made a little animation, little like he's obviously just been playing with after effects. Do you think he does that himself time. or does he have a minion to do that for him? <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got a minion to do the music, but I think he does the animation himself. because uh, it's personal, it's quite yeah, it's like her face. Yeah, yeah. No uh uh. <laughs> I just want to touch on um, some of the uh, opening scenes again from Craig's perspective, Dan, uh, Bond, obviously. This is, uh, I, I think it's the most uh, directly, clearly influenced by Ian Fleming's James Bond. A lot of these opening sequences where he's clearly very depressed, he's just drinking for the sake of it, he's very... Yeah, down and out, I I guess, which you see a lot of, particularly in the later Flemings. Like, this does feel like an adaptation of some of the last Ian Fleming books, where he's just dealing with some malaise and the perspective of points. Um, but, but... Uh, but why? Like, did I miss something? Why? Like, why is he 
that upset with his life. Um, well, I, I, the, I mean, the love I, of his life died a couple of films ago, but it's not like he mentions her. Well, well, <laughs> just wait for the next couple of films. <laughs> um, in in this one specifically, it's I think it is. You know, Alan touched on the whole mother side of things earlier on. I think a part of it is yeah, well, how he, he feels to shout about Judy Dench. She's got <laughs> well, issues. Well. Uh, I think it's leaning into a bit of that personal conflict, but also this was the 50th film, and I think some of this commentary is a bit meta about the series itself. Getting tired. I I could totally get behind that if this wasn't such a freshly rebooted James Bond that's drawing a clear line in the sand. Like we we saw him starting out pretty much, didn't we, in Casino Royale? And well, only... this is this is the thing. Continuity-wise, it's a bit messy. The later Craig films dispel this, but around about the time that Skyfall was released, there was a Bond game called 007 Legends that came out, which seemed to suggest that, obviously floating timeline, it's not linear, but it suggested that, basically, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace are the start of the timeline, everything else happens in the middle, and then Skyfall uh. is kind of you have to die another day kind of thing. It it hinted at it, it suggested it. It was never fully canon, but and I, as I say, the next Craig films will just make it clear that that's definitely not the case. But, but if um, they if they'd done that and they'd done a scene like explaining that in the film, mm, mm. that would have worked. But I don't if they know, kind yeah. of what do you want? Have you seen this way this guy lives? He's depressed. He's fucking miserable. He's an alcoholic. Like, <laughs> why is that so hard to understand? Because we've never really seen any indication that it's taking a toll on him until well, he's... I mean, the last film, like he's, when his missus died and then he couldn't get over that for a while and then he went on this whole revenge oh, yeah. well, thing, that's... got revenge and then <laughs> didn't feel any better for it. He's depressed. Yeah, but this is, he, like I say, there's no mention of that woman or anything. It, it, it's yeah, because he didn't like to talk after... about it. Well, it's not even like a hint at... <laughs> The fact that that's what's still well, that's the whole him. Bond thing, isn't it? Like he drowns his sorrows in alcohol. He shags women to try and deal with his emotional issues, and obviously never opens up, so he never gets anywhere. The first time he does, it turns out she's trying to work against him, and then has to drown her in a lift. I mean, <laughs> no wonder he's got issues. His mum tried to kill him. Told mum told his <laughs> sister to shoot him. Whatever that was. I I feel like we're just skipping some pretty big steps in this franchise. Each film so far feels like it's been way too eager to kind of jump ahead. And and I get it. Right, they're they're only getting one of these films out every fifty years. So okay, they need to move quickly. <laughs> but it just feels a bit like DC's approach to you know Justice League. It's like take a bit of time, build what you're doing, do it properly. This all just feels a bit messy, and I've got I've got to do like mental gymnastics to make it all fit together after I've seen the film, which shouldn't be how it. But that's it the works. way it goes. Like every franchise needs its Iron Man three before it can really get going, and then maybe <laughs> that's what Quantum of Solace was. <laughs> oh, I like Iron Man three. <laughs> right, uh, so we're off to the races. Uh, eventually, he has to go through all of his uh, training and whatnot, but then we eventually mm. get to. Um, well, actually, we have the Q scene. Ben Wishaw is introduced as Q. Oh, yes. How do we feel about him? Uh, I mean, I was annoyed that so that their first scene, Bond's like, oh, I don't know about, I don't know if you're going to be qualified, mate. You're a bit young. About eighteen. So, mm. qu- qualified to what? <laughs> to take a gun out of a locker and give it to you? <laughs> oh, that's so difficult. You could do it yourself, you lazy cunt. <laughs> Fucking hell, James. Yeah, Just but like... he's not. Just because James gets special treatment and the boss 
comes down to give him his gun. Like that could be an assistant's <laughs> job, but he is the, still the one making the guns and and mm. exploding pens. I was gonna say, uh, we, if if we had a scene where the new Q was like getting upset because someone's playing with his lunch that's left out, they think it's a gun or something. <laughs> I get lunch. it. It just. It just seemed a bit weird to be getting all upset. And then ultimately, it's Q's fault that uh, Javier Bardem uh, gets a virus in the system anyway, isn't it? So yeah. he wasn't qualified. Yeah. He put they a dirty USB old... in his laptop. Yeah, they should, have, they should have hired a stuffy old uh, not a stuffy old man instead. Who really knows about uh, computers. But uh, Ben Whishaw's fine. Yeah, oh, he's amazing. But I, I, I know what you I, love him. What I, he's fine here. He doesn't really. He's, he's only got like two lines. Oh yeah, but he does it so well. It's, what what kind of? No, he, well, I don't actually. know if he does because because one of them, one of them, he's like, oh, before my first cup of Earl Grey, and then like, fuck up. No one says uh, you just say tea. Doesn't matter if you drink Earl. Grey. The only reason you would specify Earl Grey is if you're trying to be some sort of pretentious show off. Yeah, who well, wants everyone to know that they don't. Just in a, yeah. but in a kind of nice way. It's for the Americans. But this, what what's, what threw me, actually, was because obviously I know Ben Whishaw is Q, so this scene is playing out and they're doing a little bit of banter and all that. And then it's kind of near the end, like, we get well in where we realise, oh, no, Bond just thinks this is some bloke chatting him up in an art gallery. It's like, oh, yeah. he doesn't realise who it is. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to watch this scene again now with a bit more of a, a, different, a different lens. But yeah, <laughs> like I go to the art gallery sometimes. No one's ever tried to chat me up about um, about art. It's a shame. Ben Whishaw certainly <laughs> never has. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like Ben Whishaw. Generally speaking, this is peak Ben Whishaw as well. Very mm. sexy, and um, mm. yeah, I like it. I like to set up the little dynamic between them. That Bond, you know, you you kind of have to earn your respect from Bond. You have to prove yourself, and he does that pretty quickly. It's like a cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, well, that, that's good, because he's, uh, yeah, I, I love him. We'll have him in the next couple of films, obviously, and he's a really good, consistent presence. And he does actually learn from that mistake in um, No Time to Die. They do make a kind of a subtle reference, so keep that in the back pocket, Sol, about um, his uh, error, sort of letting Javier Bardem into the system. We actually updates his antivirus software. <laughs> <laughs> no time to die. That's why the film's so long because you have to wait for <laughs> twenty minutes while it downloads and installs. That's because his his password is pa five five w zero rd, and have a bad saw right through it. So uh, um, next next big chunk of the film, Bond heads to Shanghai. He's following some leads here and there. We have uh, flourishes of action throughout these sequences. He gets into little fist fights and whatnot. You, you know, sorry, sorry to go back, you, you know you know Javier Bardem's little viruses that he, you know, his little <laughs> anime. Did yeah. you like the way they, they, they all end with him going, think on. <laughs> think on your sins. <laughs> <laughs> think on, man. That... That really made me laugh. Talking about the funny jokes of this film, that was one of the things that really made me laugh. Yeah, Calvin, what other? What, have we missed any funny jokes? You mentioned there were like really funny bits in this film. Have we oh, missed any of the, <laughs> no, the, don't the actual, you the actual funny jokes so far. Uh, I I think that the sequence with Ben Whishaw is nice and amusing. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I, it's I, funny. I, I, I like yeah. the standards in general. There's no there's no jokes to it. Q used to be funny. Yeah. I like yeah. the uh, a, a gun and a radio. Not exactly Christmas, is it? Or what you were expecting? An exploding pen? We don't go in for that anymore. I like that. That's weak. <laughs> Come on. 
I like Come on, it. we don't make shit films anymore, 007. It would have been better if he'd, <laughs> if he'd done that line and Bond sort of looked a bit crestfallen and then he goes, here you go, he dips into the pocket, here's an exploding pen, James. Go on, <laughs> sc- scamper on, you old... Uh, that's what, that's what um, old Q would have done. Or if he'd had to, like, improvise and he'd gone with, like, a Michael, like, simply remove the lid off this pen and then jam it in someone's eye like that. <laughs> Uh, well, this this next stretch of the film is a bit jokeless, really, um, uh, with Bond uh, following. Oh, it this was a laugh assassin. riot up until this bit. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I love this the fight sequence in front of the uh, like the, the the big advertising billboard screen. I think that's all really good. It's all sort of done in one shot. Roger Deakins is the cinematographer. We should point out at this point. Oh, is he really? Probably explains why this is the the best looking Bond film by some margin. Yeah, certainly mm. the best a Bond movie has looked to date. Um, he was uh, nominated for um, an Oscar for this. It was. Uh... See, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> Billie Eilish has won an Oscar for a Bond film. I was just handing them out like confetti. Yeah, but come on, <laughs> nothing, nothing that happens in the 2020 Oscars, uh, 2022 Oscars counts. So. <laughs> Um, so we have a bit of uh, like Naomi. What's your feeling about Naomi Harris's character at this point? She appears to shave Bond. Um, and, uh, Sorry, I didn't. I, just, I didn't mean that as I in like. To, I just con- took a second to process that and then realised that you were just literally saying what happened. I thought there was yeah. definitely a joke in there somewhere, but no, that she just shaves him. <laughs> um, at this point, she's not Money Penny. Sol, in particular, I'm curious to know if you had any indication that she would be money penny that she would even be a recurring character because she is obviously really, the advertising yeah. of the but new also, ones yeah but i don't know if you what we do attention. what she does has no relation to what money penny is who is basically a secretary yeah exactly not a field exactly. agent at all so we, there's no yeah. reason why we should even suspect such a thing exactly exactly hmm. yeah no i didn't i didn't suspect that i mean I, I i'm sure if i'd really thought about it i would have remembered people saying it <laughs> but hmm. to me i just kind of went oh is they they're doing like a bond girl field agent kind of thing this will be the first of two bond girls probably okay i mean i i i liked her i liked the dynamic um i feel like overall that scene was completely arbitrary and pointless like i don't feel like her presence in the film adds anything other than oh by the way i'm money penny huh Eh? Fan service? Yeah, but it's that it's a little <laughs> bit they obviously decided like we're not gonna have Bond doing a shagathon, but they just need a little bit of frisson, a little bit of sexual chemistry between someone He has that with Javier Bardem. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the you need more than he shags one. a woman at the, he shags a woman at the start. That's just a shag. He has though, a flirty conversation to get information out of a woman later on. And then he has a bit of flirting with uh Javier Bardem. That's then, enough. Yeah, and then with Money Penny. It's alright. He has a bit of flirting with M, so come on. That's an Oedipal thing, though. That's different. <laughs> but the uh, the um the scene where they finally meet again after he's come back and he's done his tests and everything, and she uh, she's like, "Oh, sorry, I shot you." I don't know. It was just it it felt too Bond like they were both being trying to be so cool and like flippant about the yeah. fact that she shot him. Like, where it would have been really nice if she'd maybe not for Bond, but if she'd had a moment where she was just like. No, really, I'm really sorry, I and mean, I feel actually quite bad about it because I shot you. Mm. Like some genuine emotion and like <laughs> acting and stuff. It played to me like every field agent is like out shagging and and drinking and d- driving cars with guns, and she's no different. And yeah. she was like trying to seduce Bond, which um, mm. 
I sort of like that aspect. I would have liked it if he'd been a bit like less like if she had to kind of really seduce him like a bond scene from her perspective. I do think that the film is it's interesting considering how much uh, attention is obviously on the portrayal of women in bond films and particularly in the modern age that two of the women in here we've already touched on uh Severin, the character who is just sort of unceremoniously killed off and Bond doesn't really seem to give two shits. But then Moneypenny as well, whose entire arc in this film seems to be take a desk job <laughs> and don't do leave the action to me. It's uh, bold, I I think. Um, I, I don't know if they maybe, maybe there would be a bit more thought given to that sort of thing but that's, these that's days. That's what I mean. If, if we'd had in that earlier scene where she is like, seems really genuinely affected by the fact that she had to make that shot, and then, so like, just things where mm. she's like, maybe she's gonna go. Do you know what? I'm not. I'm not the person who's gonna go out there and start shooting people. It's not me. I'm gonna help in the back room, which for some reason means mm. I'm a secretary, just letting people into M's office. And I feel like there's a different. <laughs> there's a balance there somewhere where she could actually be doing something a bit more useful if she's got all these skills. Mm. Her arc really should be that she learns to kill again in the last film. <laughs> I don't know if that's what happens, but you know, like the end of Die Hard when yeah. uh, the cop who's been helping him learns to shoot the guy. Yeah, yeah. that's. So, um, Javier Bardem, he's the last major character who we're uh, to discuss. Oh. Uh, I'm really curious to know how you feel about him. One of my favorite villains. Love him. Right. Well, I think just to 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 make a bigger point here, I think what the film in general is missing is a villain plot Hmm. like a proper villainous thing because what what the plot is is like a quite a small personal vengeance thing that he's taking too far but Hmm. that needs to be alongside oh i'm turning water into oil and selling it to americans or something i don't know i think it could be alongside like i have a specific plan to you know yeah laser gun on the moon bring down all of MI6 specifically, or, or, yeah, but I mean, it, it, they're kind of dealing with that, but I agree, it doesn't quite, it all just feels a bit wishy washy, yeah, and uh, unfocused. But then I, I feel like all of this film is like that, yeah, all I the agree. stuff that it's doing is wishy washy and unfocused. All the James Bond's depressed, he's staged his own death, he's trying to get out, that's wishy washy and unfocused. The, I mean, I like Javier Bardem, it's nice when he turns up. I forgot mm. that Javier Bardem and Christoph Waltz are. Not the same. <laughs> I was just pri- I was I was mentally primed for Christoph Waltz to walk through those doors, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Javier Bardem, totally di-. like not even the same." Well, yeah. you know, right? Okay, so the big intro, Javier Bardem walks through, and we have this long shot of him walking along, telling, basically giving a bit of backstory for himself, and it's a nice thing. It's like obviously, okay, yes, we've got a proper director who's making these interesting decisions of having this introducing this way. But I was just so distracted because all I could think of was like, look how tiny those steps he's having to make to so we can fit this entire speech in this walk. <laughs> <laughs> like he's doing tiny well, little half steps. <laughs> it was really infuriating me. Like just walk over and talk. You know, I never noticed, but yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Calvin, from your from your perspective as a as a dare I say somewhat camp uh, individual. <laughs> Well, how did you feel about Calvin, Javier Bardem's performance? Because <laughs> uh, I just, I was watching it and I was just thinking like, is that okay? <laughs> and I don't know, is it okay? I'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, uh, no, what I, doing. I, I love him uh, in this film. He's one of my absolute favourite okay. Bond villains. And I think that from what I understand from some of the behind the scenes, like a lot of this was his choice. Like I think on the page... 
this is supposed to be just kind of a another dark side of Bond kind of character. It could have been very boring. It was his idea to kind of do the Julian Assange hair, <laughs> and he's got fake teeth in as well. Um, he pulls them out at one point. Well, yes. Um, yeah, I and he thought when he did that, I thought flirty. it was going to... Because we're still in prequel mode with these films, I thought that it was going to turn out he was actually Jaws. <laughs> and this was like a Jaws origin <laughs> story. They were going to put metal oh, teeth God. in and... And, I never yeah. thought about that. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know no, the I think part. He's... If you if you were casting a Jaws for uh, yeah for for the Craig era, you know, <laughs> do a lot worse than Javier Bardem. But I think it's uh, I really like the scene where he's kind of uh, getting a bit flirty with Bond and he's sort of undressing his buttons a yeah, bit and I, rubbing I, his I, legs. Well, I'd heard about all this and. I don't know. I, I just, I guess I didn't, I just wasn't expecting Javier Bardem to kind of play it so kind of, oh, hello. Like, I thought he was going to just play it <laughs> like, Latin lover. as a, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I'd heard all about Bond going a bit gay in this one, which was a, a bit of a, yeah. a talking point when this film came out. But that's the annoying thing, isn't it? Like that, that's, that, that this is what's considered like being too gay and it's a bit controversial, like. Because this is the one thing I really want to see. Like Bond is prepared to die for his country. I want to see him get bummed for his country. Okay, that's let's <laughs> let's really put his his loyalty to the test here. But like I, I mean, it, I'll be honest. It was more overt than I expected. I'd heard about this, and I thought, oh, it'll it'll be nothing. It'll just be. This is like when Disney do a gay character. <laughs> well, yeah, I I thought it maybe you'd have Javier Bardem flirt with him, but the fact that then he sort of goes, you know. Was it Javier Bardem says something like "There's a first time for everything" or whatever, and then Bond sort of says, "What makes you think it's my first time?" <laughs> I went to college. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's it's more implicit than, uh, or or less implicit, I suppose, than I kind of was expecting. Kevin, mm. um, how did this go down with the Bond community at the time? Because notoriously homophobic am, Bond community. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't, you know what? I don't remember there being much. Uh, I think if it happened now, there would be far more like Bond goes woke kind of stuff online. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, but I don't feel like that kind of thing was as prominent when this film was released. Uh, mm. I remember there being some the the bigger discussions that were going on were kind of you know, has he literally slept with other guys or is this just sort of like trying to psych out Javier Bardem and sort of uh, mm. do something unexpected in that moment? Uh, and obviously, you, think, you do Cameron? get people. Um, I think in his job he would probably have to seduce men as well as women yeah. to get information out of them, so it, it makes perfect sense to me. Do you think he enjoys it, though, or do you think he just kind of does it? Is that why he's depressed? Cause he's... Uh, I don't think he enjoys well, he it when he enjoy with, with women. It's all just, he's, just, yeah. he's just working on autopilot most of the time. I think he... I think yeah. he um wants to though you know it's like a, an alcoholic might not necessarily yeah but it's like your sex life drink. soul you know what i mean exactly like that's you, what i mean you, that's that's you what have I'm, a drive to do it doesn't mean it. you enjoy it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what i mean do you think he's got that drive to to do it with men in the same way it's all about the power <laughs> he doesn't care <laughs> yeah well you you wanted to see him get bummed i mean that's a, that's, that's exactly that's a totally different power dynamic you gotta you gotta yeah. reach a different place in yourself yeah, unless you're a power bottom, in which case you take control he's from, like he's from the slamming front. Javier Bardem down on the floor, <laughs> pinning him down. Yeah. Uh, Can I ask you a quick question about Bond fandom in general? Just talk about gayness and all that. Sure. Because I, I think our our kind of idea of um, your typical Bond viewer is a bit like, ooh, cars, girls with tits. Uh, but, you know, my main, uh, yeah. my main contact with Bond fandom is you. And the other people that I've sort of associate with you are very much not that. 
so is it hmm. is it the the kind of real Bond nerds are not that way, or like is it just a different element of the demographic? Like what what's going on there? I think it can be generational. I think you'll tend mm. to find that a lot of the people who grew up sort of with the 60s and 70s Bonds are perhaps a bit more like that, but they're also old now. <laughs> uh, whereas I think there are the fans like me who kind of... It's interesting uh, understanding whether Bond fans kind of appreciate the levels of camp in these films or not. Like, if some people take them deadly seriously, or if you're kind of aware that they're all a bit sort of wink-wink, nudge-nudge, isn't this all a bit silly kind of thing. Mm. Um, I, I find that's that's an interesting divide in the fandom more than anything else. But I know, I, I think it's generational. I think it's what era you came into. I don't think anyone would watch them now to be titillated um, <laughs> like you might have done in the 60s before you had, like, the, the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like, this is my only chance yeah. to see a woman getting slapped on the arse. So I have to take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we um we do move to London now, uh, and, and this entire... I guess it's like a half hour, whatever it is, before they get to Scotland. Um, one of my favourite chunks of any Bond film ever, this whole action sequence on the underground, I absolutely love. The chase, the train coming through the wall, it's... I mean, I absolutely mm. love this whole thing. Judy Dench interrogating Javier Bardem, the big build-up to him potentially shooting her, and then he doesn't... Uh... Well, actually, Sol, did you think he was actually gonna kill her in that moment? Well, I, only because I knew that she dies in this film, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, okay, but you thought it was going to happen there? Well, only because I knew she died, and then Javier Bardem pulls a gun on her, and so I was like, oh, I guess I guess that this will be it, and then she gets okay. knocked down. It's like, oh, okay, maybe not. Because it is very much set up as, like, a, this is it. Like, she reads a poem, and, you know, the oh, music's I mean, I didn't, swelling all I didn't. That. No, before he walked in and pointed a gun at her, I didn't think this was it. Um, oh, okay. Uh, can we? Did I miss something, by the way? Because he he escapes Javier Bardem from like a glass prison, like Professor, yes. uh, not Professor uh, Magneto's kept in in the X Men. Yes. Well, like it's, that's the only way to do in a kind of in a futury kind of vibe. You got to have a glass prison. But what, that's the only way to do it. Did I miss? Did I miss the reason for that special, highly elaborate? <laughs> like perspex yeah, box looks in cool. the middle of a yeah. So there wasn't there wasn't any justification for that beyond just the visuals of no. it. I yeah, I, I would imagine it is largely because you can have these two having a conversation unobscured by bars or whatever. You can have them in the same shot looking at each but other. But they would without... never. They would. Ne they just put him in a room, like a prison cell room. Yeah, but it's not like there's a hatch leading to an underground tunnel system in it. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i i thought i'd missed something and i was really confused by it like what is he got powers <laughs> why are they putting him in this well, that, that's it the, the glass box again the problem here with all this escape thing is that there is we don't get much of a sense of what javier bardem i have no idea what javier bardem's character is called by the way silver mr what? silver silver mr. silver De silver raul silver okay well, the the thing is, because we don't because we don't have much of a process for him, what his situation is, what his um, what his his corporation thing is, so we don't know why. So he obviously has all these people helping him, getting him out of the building. He's got people inside MI6, like what we don't really touch on that. And then, 
And then everything is so perfectly timed. You're like he walks out of a door mm. and someone hands him a parcel, and it's like, oh, behave yourself. It's just all a bit too. Yeah, because I'll tell you what it is, yeah. Alan. It's because the Dark Knight had just come out before, like mm. same year was it as Quantum of Solace? Certainly, mm. you know. Uh, yeah. This is the first yeah. film that's had a chance to rip it off, and they went, oh, we really like that Joker scene at the start with the the bus. Yeah, but that's the worst can thing make, about that whole vill- Joker scene. Can we have a villain? Is that they drive the school bus out of a smashed up building and just put, pull into traffic as if no one's going, oh, hang on, that bus just drove out of a bank. What's that about? <laughs> oh, we're looking for a school bus. We don't know which one it is. Is it the one with a load of bricks on the bonnet? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, let's try that one. <laughs> they're obviously they're obviously trying <laughs> Is it the school bus with a load of kids on it? No, it's probably the one with <laughs> Yeah. No passengers and just a cloud at the <laughs> and some bullet holes in the side, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is also a totally different make of uh, vehicle from what I remember as well, with a different paint job. But um, yeah, I I think they were just trying to rip that whole Machiavellian yeah. madman thing off, and they don't they don't really know how to do it because at least with the Dark Knight, like you know, they they were making that character from the ground up like obviously drawing upon history but this is just kind of like oh yeah it'd be good if we did a character who kind of does that at one point and and i agree because it, it doesn't work because this character is meant to be like intricately planned blah, blah 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 but then ultimately bond only catches up with him because he's stupid enough to not close a door behind him <laughs> like that's that was pathetic that was weak writing that that James Bond's lost him and then he notices a door's ajar. I think it is well, he, it, you'd close the fucking door, wouldn't you, if you were being chased by Bond? Because it would be obvious that if you leave the door open that oh, It is it a door is, that just happens to be unlocked and like openable, by the way. It is uh it's contrived, like definitely, and I think it is a bit of a litmus test of how much you're willing to accept like how much have you enjoyed the film at this point to kind of go with this ridiculous implausibility as alan said earlier on it's like it's one thing to kind of expect that they're going to plug in your laptop and release you that way it's another thing to have it timed so that you're passing these guys who work for you in the station at this exact time and the way the tube system works in london if your plan is depending on the tube system (laughs) to be running on time it's not a good plan after they watched The Dark Knight, they were like, what other Batman villains can we rip off? And they got obsessed with uh, the Clock King, <laughs> the Tempest <laughs> t- Fugit, or whatever he's called. Well, the thing is, right, the, the other unbelievable thing is, like, I jumped on the back of a tube, uh, tube train once, and uh, first of all, there wasn't anyone stood in the back. And even if there was, they certainly wouldn't have just opened the door and let me in. <laughs> and just go, oh, sorry about this, I'm just passing through, I nearly missed the train. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Oh, it's, Certainly not a well, terrorist it's... threat in any way. <laughs> I know. Why didn't he? Why didn't he flash his badge and be like, "Am I <laughs> Instead, they go for a oh, health and safety inspector or whatever line. Which is that one of the funny jokes, Calvin? I like again, it. I thought, that, yeah. I thought that was that was like, oh, we need to put a joke in on on the set. Like they realized that they needed to write a gag, and they didn't have any writers with them. They didn't have any comedians. They just had Sam Mendes, Daniel Craig, because it was like a skeleton crew doing that bit. Because it was like a really tight tunnel in the underground. They were only allowed like three people there, and I guess they're just not funny. <laughs> any of them? I love the whole thing. I I, sh- I should hasten to add like this. I I appreciate why um, if if if, you, if you, these things are sticking out to you, then yes, and there are certainly Bond films. Certainly ones that we'll be getting to at some point in the future that 
uh, I do lose patience with some of the contrivances that are uh, required. Um, but this, I just, I love it. I love the music. I love all the action stuff. It's, yeah, it's great. I don't know. I, I, I made the note dull around this point, and then my next oh. note is finally interesting 100 minutes in when it becomes a Judy Dench buddy flick, so that must be the next <laughs> bit. Well, yes, because uh, he has his failed assassination attempt, and then Bond gets M in the Aston Martin DB5, and it's gets very clear now what? that the whole... <laughs> <laughs> and it's very clear that the the main scheme is just about killing her basically well, yeah but that's um, that's the thing by the way all his intricate scheming where he got he got caught on purpose and then delivered a virus and escaped through the tunnels but his plan is burst into a room with lots of people in it and try and shoot judy dench in the face <laughs> nice one mate yeah <laughs> In in like uh, you know in a room with other very prominent like MPs and stuff like it's a place that's going to be pretty well guarded. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, he gets in there. I mean, he he gets in and fires his bullets off. He's he's just not a good shot. Apparently, should have got closer. <laughs> She's a small target. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so how so obviously climax of this film set in Skyfall bonds childhood home really and it's sort of getting into a bit of what we've never had in the series before exploring a bit about his childhood his old gamekeeper played by albert finney is still here before we get to this i would have liked if the opening scene of this film had been we've captured this guy he's escaped he's shot off a couple of bullets at judy dench then we have two hours of james bond and judy dench on the lam like (laughs) trying to find their way to skyfall like you know bickering and and staying in like shitty dive hotels and stuff like (laughs) that would have been and then last half hour yeah you're at the the house that's how i would have done this film Mm -hmm. Um, and i would have loved it but uh i don't know the public probably wouldn't (laughs) 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 but i I, that was my favorite bit was when when she goes oh go on then eject me (laughs) <laughs> it's like right i want that for the rest of the film sadly it doesn't quite oh. doesn't really live up to that moment so did you just cite a funny joke that worked for you yeah that, that was the one joke i mentioned earlier on when i said there's one bit i like the little bit where she gets in the car and then it immediately drives off and rory kinnear's like well fuck me then <laughs> he is very ineffective throughout this whole film he's getting like instant messages like get her out and he's just not doing anything is rory kinnear the one who every time he was on screen i just thought like was that guy in johnny english as well or <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, hang on. Where are we now? Uh, so yeah, let's let's address this, Calvin. The whole Bond backstory, childhood thing. Do we mm. know pr- prior to this? Do we know anything about any of that? Is this new? Um, Fleming was, he never went into too much detail about Bond's childhood. We know that, um, his parents did indeed die in a climbing accident, as is mentioned here and was mentioned in Goldeneye. Skyfall as a lodge or a, a homestead i don't know what you call it um has never been mentioned that's complete invention for the film kincaid as well i don't think he's ever been in a a book or anything so i saw i saw the grave of bond's parents and his mother had a very french name what's that about oh yes she's swiss she's swiss so his mother's swiss his dad's scottish and he's english how does that work Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
he's, he's very uh, he's, he's very determined that he's English earlier on when he's uh, country England. I think he's, oh, yeah. you know, he's trying <laughs> oh, to hide true. He's trying to hide something, isn't he? <laughs> you don't want him to know he's Scottish. <laughs> you know, I've never picked up on that before, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that, that's like a Nigel Farage is uh, you know, Farage, come on. Can I can I ask a question actually, Calvin? Because um, obviously you know, it's all for Queen and Country and stuff like that. Do you think when the Queen finally dies, will the Bond franchise sort of acknowledge it in some way? Oh, good question. Um, I I don't know. Um, I I will say for the last like ten years, every time they've mentioned Her Majesty or whatever, I've thought like, oh God, you've edged your bets there. I know because it's like six months before the film comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they okay. shot both ways. Come on. <laughs> It'll you know, be maybe. two takes. They probably call them Their Majesty these days. Anyway, it's woke gone mad. I tell you. <laughs> uh, so um. How does this all work for you then? This climax. I I really didn't like when they got there because it just felt like that. Every time this happens in a film, it's like for fuck's sake. Like when they when they go to Hawkeye's house in Avengers Two, and the movie stops dead, and it's just like, oh, why are we a why is a family Jeremy home? Renner in this film? Yeah, <laughs> and it just felt like that again. Uh, but then they set up, oh, we're gonna do Home Alone here, and I was like, oh, okay, actually. <laughs> That's all right. I'm into that. I'm into fortifying the uh, home turf with, you know, you've got very limited resources. They they get into the garage and they fortify a van with a load of welding equipment. <laughs> and I, I can't say, I really I was I was I enjoyed this sequence, but it still really let me down insofar as like nothing about their plan was particularly clever or interesting. It was just Here's a bomb. I've got a gun. And it's like, this could have been really great. You could have seen some ingenuity from James Bond and uh, M as well. You, you know, and, and you just don't really get any of that. Yeah, like working around, like, okay, we're not this, we're not the strongest force. We're old and decrepit, but we, we're, we're smart. We've got the smarts, you know? Again, I, I feel like I missed something here. So earlier on, James Bond is like shaking. He can't shoot straight. He uh, hmm. he's he's crap with a gun, and and I don't really know why or how that happened anyway. But it's like, all right, he's broken. He got shot in the shoulder. His, his arm doesn't work properly anymore. Oh, is that all it was? Well, uh, psychological as well. But then, how come he's suddenly? How come he's suddenly a dab shot well, with I'll, a shotgun? I'll tell you this all. Because what it is, when he goes in for those tests, and he knows they're going to do blood tests and all that sort of shit, so he's clean. Whereas later on, he's got a few belts in him. You know, he's got some. Uh, He's, he's been hitting that <laughs> Heineken or whatever it is that he loves to drink. <laughs> oh yeah, that that is what they would have of course, up in that uh, that remote uh, house up in Scotland. Yeah. But that's it. It that's would of course be Heineken on tap. He's got the DTs, hasn't he? He's got the shakes in the test. They probably have famous grouse, actually, wouldn't they? <laughs> Albert Finney would probably be like, ah, oh, here we are, <laughs> your, your dad's collection, <laughs> famous grouse. <laughs> okay, here's a question. You got the old. If you're gonna get an old Scottish man in your film out of nowhere for a, 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 a <laughs> ah, why don't you get Sean Connery? Why don't? Why well, yeah. That... So Kincaid turns up, the old uh, groundskeeper. But I heard a rumor this was originally meant to be Sh James Bond's dad. Is that is oh that accurate? No, no, no. It was supposed to be uh, Sean Connery. 
which explains uh, yeah, why... Have his... I just completely misunderstood? I thought it was meant to be Sean Connery playing his dad. No, no, no. It was, uh, yeah, it was never going to be his parents. But it, yeah, the rumor is, I'm not sure if it has ever been 100% confirmed, but it, yeah, all signs point to... I mean, his first line, Albert Finney's, is Bond, James Bond. Like, and if you had Sean Connery saying that line, it would have, you know, but... Well, um... here's the thing. If you haven't got Sean Connery, why is this mm. character even in the fucking film? <laughs> well, he's... And why is he Scottish? Yeah. He's in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, but why? That's where he... Because that's, that's where, where Skyfall dad is. lives. Where he grew up. Why? It, the whole thing just... Uh, whatever. It, Albert Finney's not Scottish, is he? Is he from, like, Yorkshire? Bond, James Bond. He ain't seen thee for years, lad. That's it. <laughs> Say, oh, by the way, Skyfall's up in the, uh, the Yorkshire Moors. We've got to go up there. Like, it works and it makes more sense. Well, his dad's Scottish. Yeah, but they've just made this up for that film. That's not like a thing. Well, no, no, no. That that's in the Flemings. Um, that heritage. Oh, okay, fair enough. That's there in the original books. Um, oh, all right. But he only. But didn't he only write that in after Sean Connery started playing the character with a Scottish <laughs> accent, and he had to do damage control? It's it's debatable. <laughs> 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 um. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you need that character there because I think you need someone to... Bond isn't doing much talking in this one. Like, even when Judy Dench tries to sort of coax him into talking a bit about his childhood, he's like, oh, you know all this anyway. And I think the it, the scene between her and him talking about the priest's whole... Um, don't laugh. <laughs> um, and, and his childhood. Like, I think you need him there for that because... <laughs> Bond isn't gonna give up that information himself in this film. Yeah, I mean that makes a real change from the the last film they did, where Bond won't shut the fuck up about talking about his emotions. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, I I think it's weird that they leave him alive. Like, I think he's a bit of a loose end at the end, where he's sort of hobbled with Judy Dench to the chapel, and Javier Bardem shoots at him, telling him to sort of keep away. But I. I believe in that moment he would have just killed him, but they don't want to kill him because we've pro they probably think, oh, the audience is like him, and if we kill him, that'll be maybe a bit too much for the ending of this. But um... I like Albert Finney. He's he's probably one of my yeah. It's probably my favorite actor turning up in a Bond film to date. Am really? I, missing... I feel like I'm forgetting someone really obvious, but uh... Alan Cumming. <laughs> Behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um love all this stuff with the house blowing up uh i think the music's great i love it when they all oh, when they blow up the car you know i really didn't like and it just it reminded me how much i hate james bond as a character that he gets pissed off about his car being blown up more than anything else <laughs> in this film no, it's just, they again, the really shitty attempt, to, and maybe this is another funny line to you, I thought it was a really bad, weak joke, and, like, why didn't they hire someone funny to just punch up the script like they apparently did for the latest one, but his line before he blows up the house is, I always hated this place. Ah. Fuck off, you posh git. <laughs> it's a fucking lovely, beautiful old house. Sorry, we don't all have ten houses to pick from, and we can just blow them up willy nilly. Don't, don't forget about the, the family uh, holiday home in in Switzerland as well. They went skiing. <laughs> oh, I, I like that. I don't know if it's supposed to be a joke or uh, it's one of the only moments where he really even gives an opinion about the place and ergo his childhood. Doesn't play. He had quite a bad childhood somehow. Mm. 
It, but it implies he had a bad childhood because he got taken on a lovely holiday to a beautiful part of Scotland, and he was like, "Dad, fucking hell, I want to play PlayStation." And the parents were like, "No, come on, Bond, we're going to go out shooting today. We're going to go out and have a, a hike." And he was like, "Fuck, I want to play Game Boy." Didn't have PlayStations back then, so it was all battling tops and. <laughs> it's a sliding timeline. Sock and robots. It's a sliding timeline. Yeah, but even even <laughs> in the Daniel timeline. Craig timeline, it's still brought up in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, but if they made young James Bond movie now, it'd be set in like the year two thousand, probably. Well, what happens at the end? What happens to Javier Bardem? I watched this film over twelve hours ago. So he I'll gets film. he gets um he gets a knife in the back, but it's oh, not particularly yeah. clear how it's shot. What's that? I thought happened. she pulled the trigger and there wasn't a bullet in it. Yeah, I thought yeah, she yeah. was like it, finally like, doing the right thing and <laughs> taking a bow out. Yeah, it's it's really like not conveyed very well what's actually happened because because to, to really sell it, Javier Bardem kind of goes <laughs> and like pantomime like arcs his back, so you go, okay, I think there's something in his back, but he could just be having a heart attack. You know. see it. There's a shot there where you. I mean, admittedly, it is quite dark and. You might miss yeah. it, but uh, they do set up the knife earlier on. It's his dad's hunting knife. This was supposed to be, there was supposed to be more of a sequence here where Bond and him were going to go and have like a final fight in the woods, but um, I, they, they cut it. And I do feel like the film is missing a bit of a, yeah. like the house blowing up is this huge mm. climax moment, but then there's still a fight underwater. <laughs> there's still this thing in the chapel. And I, yeah, I don't feel like the knife in the back is as satisfying as it could be. Yeah, I again, this is what I mean about everything in this film just doesn't quite feel... It all feels very messy and not quite half-baked, I guess. And, and that's that's a shame, because this is apparently about as good as it gets. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, the Bond people operating at peak uh, filmmaking. And it's it's a shame, because it's so... It's so close to, to working. Like, it's so close to being great. But I, I, it just doesn't quite. It's just a bit too messy yeah. for me. That sounds like you're leading into a rating. Do you want to do it? Uh, do we have anything else to? The only thing I wanted to ask was whether or not Judy Dench's death moved either of you to tears. You got your answer there, Calvin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind ratings. <laughs> I agree that if, this feels like a better made film in, in, in a lot of respects, but it's just it's just missing, like you say, it's, it's kind of unfocused. It needs a really good villain plot. I want the villain in more before the halfway point. The Judy Dench stuff is nice, but then, okay, well, maybe let's focus on that. It's, but all Bond films are just like, well, we want to do this plot, but then we have to have an action scene here and we have to do this. It's, they're always like that. So anyway, it's it's all right. I gave it a seven. Yeah, I mean that that's just it. I I definitely liked this more than most of them, and I liked bits about this more than possibly any of them. And and I might even go so far as to say you could probably edit together a 90-minute film that would be my favorite James Bond film using the footage from this film. Mm. I still wouldn't be in love with it. But yeah, it was just it was just a bit too messy and unfocused in what it was trying to do and how it was doing it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. I think it's. Hmm. Uh, oh, I had higher hopes earlier think, on in this. Podcast. I think I preferred. I think I preferred Casino Royale. Ah. And I only gave that a six because the ending annoyed me too much. So I, hmm. I I don't think I can give this a higher rating than that. Oh well, I, I like I said earlier on in this, I was getting my hopes up. I thought this 
It might well still end up being the highest rated Bond <laughs> film we've ever uh, done on this. Um, anyway, it's my one of my favourites. Uh, it's up there at the very top. I can I've seen this film more times than I care to uh, say, and it's a brilliant experience every time. I always enjoy watching it. So ten out of ten, perfect. Wow, <laughs> that probably will be the highest rated one we've had. Yeah, maybe. Um, okay, well, I'm I'm happy that you both got something positive out of it. Well, can I can I ask Sol a quick question as well? Looking forward to the next one. Um, you obviously see that uh, Ray Fiennes is coming in as a new M. How do you feel about that? Completely indifferent. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say I'm looking forward to the new Bond, and we'll get back to some comedy stuff. I think we're we're ready we're ready for a new take on it. Mm. Who who have they mm. got, Calvin? Who's the new Bond? Uh, n- no one yet. Oh, uh, Barbara Broccoli's producing <laughs> Daniel Craig <laughs> in Macbeth on Broadway at the moment, so I think what? we'll uh, wait for that too. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Y- y- yeah, he's doing Macbeth and she's producing it, so yeah. Does he do the Scottish accent? Uh, you know, I've no idea. Um, I have seen pictures of of them doing the final curtain call, and he's got like a bulletproof vest on, and he's got blood on him. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know what that's about. To be or not to be, not to be. <laughs> and then he shoots him. <laughs> Calvin, uh, let me throw some names out at you, people. The next Bond. Say what you think. Okay. Quick fire round. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> uh, oh no. Wait, is this just uh, my own personal preference, or whether or not I think it's likely? Uh, both, both, both. Okay, I think they should. No, no. I think they should get an actor in. I think that should be the least they do. Well, <laughs> it's never stopped them before, has it? Uh, okay, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, ooh, um, possibly and possibly. Two, no, wait. He's a. Did you see him when he won his Oscar and he went up and started thanking God? They don't want that in press conferences. Oh no, really? Oh, oh okay. I I changed my answers. Yeah. Carrie Mulligan. Uh, no and no. <laughs> Barbara Broccoli has already said that Bond will, won't be a woman. Uh, yeah, but Barbara Broccoli must be getting on a bit now. When is she going to die? We move on to the... That's the point. What's the next She's Broccoli? She's 60. Who's the next Broccoli generation? Yeah, who's uh, the next Broccoli? Well, they have had kids. Barbara Broccoli has a daughter and her half-brother, Michael G. Wilson, who she co-produces with, has a couple of sons. Uh, so maybe... Oh, they maybe really are be... a fucking dynasty. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that it's a, a family-run sort of thing. I think it's cute. Yeah, well, it's all going to be Jeff Bezos yeah, from now on, so get used to it's that. It's going to be Barbara Bezos yeah. next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> daughter. She's going to come in and sort it out. Uh, what do you think the next Bond movie is going to look like? Do you think it's going to go straight to Amazon Prime? Do you think they'll nah, give it a I... limited run in, in the cinema and then it'll be like Amazon Prime exclusive? I think as long as they can keep making the amount of money that, out of it that they do, I, I think they will still keep on putting it in cinemas. But I agree. I think from a marketing standpoint, it's going to be harder for them if the brand become just associates with Amazon. Then um, yeah, I think it makes it harder for them to coax people out. What do you think the odds are that in the first 20 minutes, there's going to be a knock at the door, James Bond's <laughs> going to go down, it's going to be an Amazon delivery driver giving him a box, and he opens it up and it's got like a gadget from Q in it or something, or like a... <laughs> well, they're not shy about the product placement in these films, Exactly. Are they? So, yeah. It's going to... 
think it's gonna be. Uh, right, they're gonna yeah. be like, we need to get this. We need to get this message through. Uh, you know, <laughs> past the 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 villains' uh, henchmen or whatever. Oh, I've got an idea. And they send. <laughs> they go to Amazon like warehouse. They they've got a contact there. The new character is um is called Beth Jesus. He's called A. <laughs> He's called A. a? And, oh, yeah. for, and yes. he he's like, oh yeah, I'll sort you out, no problem. And they uh they fly like a little drone with like an Amazon delivery box through the villain's defenses. It oh god. There's gonna be some kind of villain in space. Bond has to travel to space, and they're like, in a, in but, a but, but Bond, we don't have the infrastructure anymore. NASA aren't launching anything. What are we gonna do? <laughs> well, don't worry, I know something. I know a guy. Oh. Oh, that, he's actually going to do it, isn't he? He's going to play himself in Bond. <laughs> Richard Branson did it. He's just. <laughs> yeah, but he's going to be Bond's sidekick for like the whole movie. And it's going to be like beautiful women coming up and going like, going hello and Bond going oh god not an- not another one and then she's sort of like actually I was more interested in your friend and the camera pans across. Do you know what? That's what billionaires should be doing. <laughs> if you're a billionaire. Buy your favorite film franchise just so that you can hammer yourself into it. Yeah, that exactly. is what Kim Jong Un's got the right idea with it? their money. Go to space yeah. for no reason. Yes, yeah. that's what money is for. <laughs> I bet he doesn't like James Bond because he would be a villain in a James Bond. Movie. <laughs> he is that archetype. He's he's the he's bald, like Rupert Murdoch like, buys the Bond franchise. funny man billionaire <laughs> with a rocket going to space, nefarious plans. Yeah. All right. Well. There you go. That's Skyfall. The Sky. Yeah, I enjoyed fell. that. Thank you for that discussion. I think I thought that was uh, really fun and uh, yes, good. Yes, thank you, Calvin. Thanks for joining us. Only two oh, no, left. Pleasure. Yeah. Mm. Oh. oh wait, have we not done Never Say Never Again? Not yet. Oh yes, for that one. You'll hate that. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and if you enjoy the show, please help spread the word by telling a friend or loved one about this mighty podcast. Or, of course, you could follow us on the social media at Dim Returns Pod. Or, you know, you could rate and review us on iTunes. Only positive reviews, please, because that helps us spread the word a little bit, gets us out there. Give us a boost if you're a fan. And, of course, if you're really so inclined, you could join our Patreon patreon.com forward slash dim returns and you can get all sorts of extra content on there but in the meantime keep up to date with our regular episodes and of course calvin dyson will return inspector but uh, probably before that as well so until next time bond fans <laughs>